Welcome to Arvid and Tyler Catch Up. I'm Arvid. I'm Tyler. Let's catch up. Let us catch up. I had a wonderful week. I cannot wait to hear about yours. <laughs> so how's your week been? <laughs> no, tell me about tell me about the, the baseball. <laughs> tell me about everything. Yeah, I took a day off. That was that's probably one of the most important things. I think I, I wrote something on Twitter yesterday about my boss is always really nice when I ask him if I can have a day off because that is me mm -hmm. and I always allow myself to have a day off. So mm -hmm. um, th the fact that we're recording one day late is kind of because I, I went to uh, over the, the border. I left Canada for a couple hours and went to Detroit uh, to see a really nice um, well, to see a really nice stadium. The game was not that exciting, but the stadium mm. and the the atmosphere, the crowd and all of that, that was fun. Game was kind of a it was a big loss for the Tigers, so I don't know. But it was it was an enjoyable trip. It was really cool to see. That that was one of the things that I that I found super super interesting. So you come from Windsor in Canada, you go through mm. either uh, a tunnel or you take the the Ambassador Bridge. Um, and you, you end up in a, in a completely different country. It is so nice, this change between Canada and the States. Subtle, obviously, because the cultures are quite similar. But mm. now you, you go from kilometers to miles. The signs are slightly mm. different. The stores are completely different. You know, it's just mm -hmm. you, you swap out one society for another. And it's just connected by a tunnel under a river. It's so cool. It was so fun to see. I was traveling with my, my brother-in-law and his kid. And he was like... The kid, not the brother-in-law. Why are there no Canadian flags here? What's going on? Like he was trying to, to figure out that, that you know, it's slightly different. And he noticed. He noticed mm. as like five or six-year-old he is, he saw that mm. there was something so significantly different that he needed to shout it out. And we kind of explained to him, oh, yeah, this is an actual new, different country. And then still, but why are there no flags? I pointed out that the American flag looks slightly different. It was just such an enjoyable little trip with the family that I was able to take in the middle of the week, which makes me really, really happy that uh, I'm mm. doing what I'm doing, having a, a media business and a a SaaS business that kind of runs itself so you can take the day off that that was mm -hmm. was quite the quite the gift to have and it was fun to do family stuff in the middle of the week honestly a baseball game around noon that's super enjoyable like it's not mm -hmm. getting late right the sun is not, it was nice the weather was great too and the people mm -hmm. around you are all enjoying the, the day in the middle of the day it was it was fun that's um yeah. that's my non non-work uh event for this week other than that the day before uh we talked about paul miller like for each episode over the last month i think yeah. i finally had a recording with him i i had him on my podcast we had a really nice conversation he's a wonderful guy i'm i'm not surprised that i i was always attracted to his writing and his thinking and having a chat with him even makes that much much more enjoyable because you know the person behind it and i read his book Again, like just on the, the day prior, I read through it uh, one more time to have everything in, in my mind uh, for the conversation. And like, The Pathless Path is a, is a wonderful book. He writes it mm. with such a, a lucidity coming from his own experience. It's, it's super well written. It shows that there is a different way for each of us. We just kind of have to understand that there is one. It's, it was mm -hmm. great. We had a great chat. That was one of the, the big highlights of my week. I enjoyed that way more than the baseball game that uh, the Tigers lost, obviously. <laughs> but no, it was just really nice to talk to somebody who has understood something that I had innately understood but never could put a word to. That was one, one mm. thing that the book and, and his thinking allowed me to do is to call my life as I live it now a life on a pathless path. 
And I never had the vocabulary for that before. I just thought, well, I don't resonate with the default narrative. That's what we called it like a couple of weeks ago here, right? With the narratives yeah. that other people give us for our lives. But I didn't have a way to, to positively describe what I was doing. And in reading Paul's work and in talking to him about it, I, I found myself much more confident in being able to explain what I'm doing by having this this phrase and having the the framework, the concepts behind it. So that was that was a, a big, big, uh, big thing for me uh, f- in terms of having a great yeah. chat on my podcast, which I always like. And then yeah. the last thing that I wanted to mention is that I'm taking more and more steps into becoming uh, a traditionally published author. So mm. I am now working on an actual book proposal with somebody who knows how to do it. And okay. we are we found a found a found an agreement and are working on my third book. Or I don't know, it, it might take a while. It m- might actually be that my third book becomes my fourth book because I just decide to self-publish one in the meantime while the actual process of writing the the book that might take a couple of years is happening. But the the building public book that I'm intending to write is taking more shape because the the process to getting it through all the stages that a traditionally published book needs to go through is is on the is on the go. So three days of highly different activities on yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and that's that's kind of what I want to talk to to you about later, like juggling different projects of different sure. scopes and different uh, intensity. But first, let me know how was your week. Let's let's catch up with that. Yeah, yeah, my week was good. I, I like some of the stuff you just said just now. Like, I mean, I love, I love the. I'm excited to hear your conversation. Um, on the on the other podcast, I feel like um, it seems like almost every entrepreneurial generation needs like some sort of uh, just like permission structure to do what they already yeah. want to do. I feel yeah. like um, a lot of folks maybe like slightly like our age, you know, um, would have identified with like the four hour work week as that, you know, as sort of like, hey, like this is just permission to go and do this weird stuff that everybody thinks is dumb and strange, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And so that's super cool. Um, yeah, uh, I had a I had a great week. Um, I think like, so, you know, I feel like everything kind of came together. I, I finally got a lot of things settled in the business and I basically spent the last probably closing in on two weeks, just completely focused on, you know, the part of this business that I actually love, which is, you know, reviewing a ton of applications for investment, and then just having lots of meetings with founders, working my way through that process of, um, you know, both investing in founders, but I also do enjoy the process of, um, of just speaking with them as well, even if maybe we can't necessarily invest, I think that um, I do try to also be a little bit of like a well-intentioned sort of sparring partner in those conversations. And I, I mean, I, you never really know when you have this kind of like investor founder dynamic, whether people are being genuine with what they say in terms of their compliments. But a lot of founders will write me afterwards and say like, you know, even though you didn't invest, like I really enjoyed the conversation because, you know, like we sort of asked a bunch of questions that we weren't necessarily thinking about or helped us maybe see around some corners. I had someone just follow up with me from yesterday saying like, you know, I used to think of this like other big, big, big incumbent company as a competitor, but you know, after a couple of questions you asked, we started thinking about it and we were like, no, we think we should integrate with them. And we just reached out mm-hmm. with them and like, they're super excited right. to work with us. And I was like, great. <laughs> like, um, so that's just super fun. It's like, w- like one of my favorite things to do. And it's, it's, um, it's funny how you get those weeks where you realize how far you had really strayed from 
what you really love to do <laughs> in the business. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so this has been a great sort of reminder to just really get back into that. And then the other thing is I've had like a lot of, you know, I was dealing with a bunch of random health things over the last couple of months. I was super sick. And then I had this weird kind of nerve issue that was not super painful and not super serious, but it was really preventing me from exercising and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's interesting how, how much those things really do compound on your mood and your actual work. I think like one of the things I've, I've learned now well enough, but I think it's, you have to kind of learn the lesson the hard way is that stuff like that, when you have a job, like, like, let's say like our, what we both do, where it's very self-directed, it's very kind of deep work centric, all that sort of stuff. Like sometimes the most important, effective, guilt-free thing you can do for yourself is like take three days off or go get a massage, you know, if you have like, you know, like pain and stuff, because it's just very hard to the difference between kind of like, you know, waking up and forcing yourself to try and do the work. And when you're not really all like centered and you're not really feeling in the zone and all that sort of stuff versus when you are can just be like 20 X, you know? So like if it takes you two or three days to recover and then get back into the zone and really be focused, it's a totally good trade-off that you shouldn't feel guilty at all about. And I think even still, even now, I sort of feel that way, especially having like investors that I'm kind of responsible to. I'll still kind of be like, oh, you know, should I really take today to, you know, just focus on exercising and stretching and getting out in the sun and being healthy and all that sort of stuff. But then you do it and you come back and you're like, smash it for, you know, six days in a row. And you're like, yeah, that was the right decision. So I'm kind of right in the middle of, of that um flow right now which is feeling really good so yeah i'm glad to hear it i'm, I'm honestly yeah. like every every person that i meet or that i talk to who has understood that good health good sleep good nutrition are actually much more relevant to your productivity than setting up an ocean template or having some yeah. kind of calendar integration somewhere like it, it's, oh. it's just it just really shows in, in how much they get done in terms of not just how busy they are but how effective they are that is that yeah. is really super noticeable there's something weird about the way i was raised i don't know if it's the same for you but um i had this conversation on twitter earlier which is why it's so top of mind for me Somebody was saying, hey, sometimes I just spend an, an hour doing nothing and I feel extremely guilty about it because I could have worked. I could have made money. And I was like, yeah, I really resonate with this. And I, it took me ages to overcome the sentiment that any time not spent working is time wasted. Right. Like, mm. whereas this time is actually recovery time or it's like leisure, which is perfectly fine. It's fine to enjoy your yeah. life. You're a human being. Yeah. You're not a machine. You're not supposed to work 24 seven. Right. Or sure. the distraction, which allows you to be creative because it rewires your brain or allows your brain to idle a bit so it can restart more effectively all of these things are just as important to you getting somewhere as doing the busy work but we have con yeah. conflated being busy with being productive which obviously is not the same and it takes such a hard amount of effort such a high amount of effort uh, to to break this because i have been socialized with this like even mm. even today like I, I saw a text from from somebody in my um somebody i know that was saying, oh yeah, your 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 hard work paid off. It's like, yes, 
But is that the only thing that is related to success? That you had hard work and you put in all the hours and you put in the, all the effort? It's probably also that you did it in a smart way or you you did good work because you, you applied techniques that had nothing to do with how hard and intensely you worked, but just what technique you chose, right? So there's there's the sentiment in, in where I come from and lots of people around me come from that work is time. <laughs> time spent yeah. on a thing, right? Yeah. And... It's, it's it's again Paul Millard in his book he talks about this too like he, sorry this this is becoming the Paul Millard podcast let's just call it that but it's it's he talks about the the um the cat like the Protestant work ethic work ethic the Protestant sure. work ethic that's the name of it right yep. where you are closer to God if you find your calling and you work on it as much as you can. I'm, yeah. I'm living in Canada in a family that comes from this uh, religious background. A lot of farmers here who have worked a lot in their life to get anywhere. So this yeah. is very, very clearly evident around me. I have people in my extended and close family who cannot sit still if they have the opportunity for it. They feel they yeah. are, and this might not be a religious thing, but they feel they're like doing something wrong. There is a moral implication to not working, to not being or busying yourself with work, which yeah. scares me coming from yeah. the very lazy other end of this, right? Because I don't I don't want to feel yeah. like I'm, I'm making them uncomfortable by being comfortable not doing anything. But yeah. it's, it's such an interesting cultural thing. How do you feel about this? Do you come from a similar background there or... Uh, how do you, how do you get out so. of it? Yeah, le a little bit less of the kind of like, uh, certainly not much of the religious background necessarily. Although I think what you're saying and whatever I'm saying is that it's sort of like more from religious to cultural a little bit. It's sort of like it was a very religious thing and now it's just become rooted in the culture. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, I feel like... Uh, there's almost like two parts of two way stations on the way. One is getting like completely comfortable, just not working, which I think is like very interesting. And a lot of people have a very difficult time with that at all uh, in where, where there's like a true trade-off where you're saying like, I could work, I could be more effective and I'm choosing not to the kind of like middle way station along the way that I like is sort of, um, uh, basically building more and more leverage for yourself and in what you yeah. do as work such that you're actually not making a trade-off right mm -hmm. which is where like you know as for example like a writer or an investor you know your next book it could be 100 times better than the worst version of it right mm -hmm. so like if you decide to take six weeks and travel and through that travel you get an inspiration for a way to take the book and that makes it 40 times better you know in terms of sales or impact or whatever that's like that's work right you're not yeah. even slacking yes. off you're not even kind of making that trade-off um and i feel that way as well like i feel like when i cultivate the level of clarity and decision making you know i can make investing decisions that could be 50 times better than what I might make on a random Tuesday when I'm not feeling kind of completely optimal. So that's one thing is like, if you feel that guilt, you know, one thing you can do is just not base it directly, but like build leverage such that, you know, sharpening the saw, right. I, I think I posted this on Twitter, the, the like age old thing of, I think it's like, maybe it's Abraham Lincoln or something, but he's like, if you give me eight hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first six hours sharpening the the saw. Right. You know, it's like you you want to do the prep work. 
And, and the more leverage you have, the more time it makes sense to sharpen the saw, right? It's, it's not, you can't make the same argument if you're a, I don't know, what's a good example, like a customer support rep who, whose base KPI is like answering the number of tickets. Yeah. Okay. Taking six weeks off is just going to be a clear trade-off, but you can move yourself along that line where you can have work that has more leverage where, you know, this sort of leisure, health, creativity, distraction, all that kind of stuff actually does fuel your actual work. The other side, I think, is a little more like Paul's domain, to be honest. I don't know if I'm even ready to opine on just <laughs> genuinely, hey, the value hey. of, you know, just taking off work for a year without like uh, without an argument to yourself or why that's going to make your next batch of work more effective. Just literally being like, I don't want to work. Um, you know, that's. <laughs> That's some next yeah. level uh, mental game. So, <laughs> well, it's it's your podcast. You can opine on whatever you want, and you can have any sure. opinion that you sure. want to have. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I've I've been switching between very different things in my life, like for most of my life. I think I've always been kind of drawn to the path that is not laid out for me by somebody else. And sure. I've had I've met a lot of resistance along the way. I still don't know if I'm right, but that's the thing about mm -hmm. this path. You can't. <laughs> this mm. it's impossible for some for a path that nobody has walked before. You cannot be sure. That is the whole point. It's like that that's yeah. uh, to me it is at the core of entrepreneurship. Like you're doing yeah. something in a specific way that nobody else has ever done exactly like this before. There have been people yeah. who've tried something like this, people who are doing similar things, completely different things, but never the exact same way, which is why there's mm -hmm. always a risk, which is why there is investors like yourself that uh, allow people to still do it without fielding the risk completely themselves. Like there are the dynamics of entrepreneurship are grounded in the fact that there is no clear path. Right? It's mm -hmm. a pathless path, which is why this is such a great like, word analogy to me, because there is no sure. predetermined thing. So, hey, we can opine on anything here. And I believe, honestly, I've done I, most of the decisions that I made in my life on what to do next or what to do for the next year have been decisions in the moment when I felt like I was ready to make a choice, any choice. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I, I went, I, I went to university kind of on a whim because I thought, yeah, that might be interesting. Never really wanted to degree. I, my grandparents were happy because they were the ones kind of forcing it. They were the default path people that were telling me, you need to go to university, you need to find a good mm -hmm. job, and then you find a partner, and then you build a house, and then you plant a tree, and then you die. <laughs> that's kind of the idea, right? right. So yeah. that's, that's what they that's what they wanted me to do. So I said, sure, why not? University in Germany is free, and I guess that is something that is an extremely privileged thing to have. Have. And I went yeah. there and uh, failed a couple times, uh, dropped out multiple times. And then I kind of was pulled into the Silicon Valley world where on a whim, on a Twitter DM, I said, yeah, sure, why not go and, and check this out? And I went, mm. you know, and at some point I was done and I went back home and I said, yeah, why not take half a year off? It was always this kind of, let's just see what's going to happen with me. Mm -hmm. So maybe if, if you have a personality that can be confident in your decisions, this is very easy. If you have a lot of self-doubt mm. and if you have a lot of external pressure, if you come from a culture where you are extremely, supposed to be extremely obedient to your parents or to your elders, many people are coming from such cultures. And it becomes super hard not to, to break your own identity as a good person who, who trusts mm. their elders and still goes their own path. So there, there are a lot of, you know, little problems that... I personally, from my cultural background, don't have to deal with. But mm. I can only suggest that you find a way of just ignoring what everybody else is saying and doing because that is their perspective. So that's kind of yeah. how I feel about this. Um, 
I'm I'm glad to hear you're enjoying your work. That was one of the things in, in your description of your last week that I really, really resonate with and I'm really happy about yeah. for you because I can just imagine how much fun you had, like getting all these calls, doing all these conversations, having these conversations with people from probably industries that you never heard of before. I, I bet that yeah. was always, that was part this, of, of this week as well. Did you, I mean, uh -huh. I know that this stuff is probably highly confidential still, but was there anything like that you completely did not expect and, and were surprised by the, in, in those conversations? There always is, but I feel like, I feel like I need to put it on more of a time delay than like the week of, you know, because a lot of sometimes a lot of the value in these businesses are just these markets that no one has even contemplated for a while. And they kind of get a, uh, a jump on that. Um, yeah. but yeah, it is, I, 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 <laughs> I continue to be amazed at the, the niches within niches within niches that, um, are surprisingly big when you actually take a look at them. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. I think there was like, a, I can't remember if Patrick McKenzie, he goes like patio 11 for folks who don't know, um, if he coined it himself or if someone else coined it for him, but it was like patio 11's law is that the the market for sort of small internet businesses is larger than you can possibly imagine, even when you account for patio 11's law, basically <laughs> just like sort of infinitely regressively sort of heat vast full of opportunities that, you know, you just can't even fathom. Um, so yeah, it is, it's always the best part of the job is to just be like, wow, I never even thought of this and you've built a pretty big business in this space, or at least you've made a case that you could. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm that, that is what, uh, always, what I always found amazing about you and, and what you write about in, in your updates that you give to investors yeah. and stuff. Like it's just a, the, the, the crazy markets that people are in yeah. that, that make good money and that they actually solve people's problems and, and make the market better that yeah. just did not exist in your mind, your conception of the world before. That just blows yeah. my mind every time. And it would yeah. be nice to be able to give examples here, but we can't obviously like, so uh, just imagine that there's something out there that you cannot imagine, <laughs> but it's, it's just, yeah. you know, this super hyper specific markets there. It's, it is very cool. I mean, the one thing, the one challenging thing that is sort of, you know, I guess maybe I'll take a moment to talk about it here is making sure that people right size the amount of capital that they raise relative mm -hmm. to these very, very cool niches. We've just kind of come out of this cycle where money was just everywhere and people could get all sorts of like local venture funds or mm -hmm. a random group of angels and stuff like that to, you know, to give you whatever, like $2 million at a, 10 or 15 or 20 million dollar valuation and you can build like all these amazing businesses and all these cool niches but you know you can't once you do that sort of thing because now you have to build a business that's worth at least 100 150 million dollars um for the whole thing to make sense and you've really you've cornered yourself into well now this now this is i could have built a great 
you know, 10, 20, $50 million business, but this market's just really not big enough to build a $200 million business. And now I'm going to have to make all kinds of changes to my business plan. I'm going to have to be much more quote unquote ambitious, right? In the sense of, you know, we're not just going to take on this market that we found. We're going to take on the, you know, umbrella market that of, you know, the, the whole thing, we're going to take over the whole market now. And you end up basically kind of backing yourself into this, high risk, you know, uh, opportunity that, um, wasn't your original idea. And I'm seeing a, a lot of that, um, as I'm talking to founders is that, you know, they just, they heard about what people were raising money for, for, you know, some AI startup. And so they've raised at some crazy high valuation and, and they use that money to kind of like ramp up their team. And so they've got 12 people on staff, you know, even though they only have $10,000 a month in revenue. So they're burning a lot of money and all this kind of stuff. And I'm having to sort of have a bunch of conversations with founders to try and help them kind of like make a, a hard downshift, right. To say like, stick to the original plan, probably you can't keep this whole team probably you can't raise you know as much money as at high valuation you still have a very good idea if you want to downshift and cut your costs stick to the original plan and grow your revenue um but that's really hard to do once you know once you kind of like rev that engine up to whatever sixth gear to then slow it back down to third to use a bad manual car analogy that I don't really know because mm -hmm. I don't drive a manual car, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like to really kind of change the whole flow and inertia of the business is really hard to do. So um, that's kind of one of the challenges I'm facing right now is talking to founders and, and also trying to make sure that founders don't still now get themselves in that position right now, now that we know kind of the market is different. So um, anyway, that's something I'm dealing with, but yeah. Yeah. It, 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 how do, founders react to this like what, what's uh, there's probably like a visceral response when you tell them that this is probably not the best idea right yeah it takes a while to sink in i mean founders are fundamentally kind of like um a little bit naively optimistic right that's kind of one of the things that you kind of have to have to be an entrepreneur is like a overconfidence in your own capacity to to surmount challenges right that's that's like because like you know a lot of businesses fail why would you do it if you knew like a lot of them fail so right. you kind of run into a bit of that really where it's like well i understand what you're saying about the market but like we are going to be the ones the outliers right we're going to be the ones that still you know manage to navigate this um effectively i mean I, honestly a lot of founders are pretty receptive to it it's just even if you're receptive to the idea it's very hard to implement right it's hard to have just grown your team from three to 12 and then have to cut half of them to get back on it while still having cash in the bank right you could keep these people yeah. on but you're just the trajectory is off right you're just you're you're not gonna get to break even before your cash runs out so what you need to do is change the angle of that that whole formula and so you've like just hired these people in the last six months. And then you have to be like, well, you know, the market changed. We don't think there's a good chance we're going to be able to raise $6 million in 12 months. We think maybe we might be able to raise a million or maybe nothing. So we need to change that curve. And it's just hard, even if you know it, you know, it's really hard for founders to kind of like, you know, it feels like you're admitting failure right out of the gate. You're just off the starting line. You know, there's just a lot of kind of pressures. So one of the things I try to do as an investor is to kind of like, kind of play like part therapist a little bit, right? <laughs> like sort of like a help them walk through that. And then B also, I am able to kind of be the 
the bad cop in the situation a little bit to be like, look, you know, you can kind of like, <laughs> you can kind of use me as the rationale, right? Like we want to invest, but you know, we came with these kind of like conditions, right? Which is like, we, we wanted to bring on these new investors, but they strongly encouraged us to do X, Y, and Z. And that kind of like sometimes helps founders navigate that a little bit. But I mean, I know it's just, it's really, really tough to, yeah. to actually execute that plan. Um, but you know, this is why we, I kind of created all this like terminology around like be long-term ambitious, right? Because it, it feels like you're curbing your ambition in the short term, right? It feels like kind of giving up on the dream by 40%, you know, or something, but it's not, it's more about like making sure that you are still around 10 years from now working on this thing, you know, versus the whole company shuts down in 18 months. Right. Um, so yeah. That, that does remind me, I had a conversation earlier with a friend and he runs a SaaS business. He is a writer and he has a newsletter. He runs a couple things at the same time. And mm -hmm. he was just wondering how to deal with priorities. Right? We were talking yeah. about like what, what should we prioritize? That's kind of the, mm -hmm. the, the thing I want to talk about today is kind of splitting your time and attention between things. And, and this mm -hmm. conversation really brought it into sharp relief for me because the SaaS business that, that he's running is a successful business. It has a, you know, like mid five figure monthly recurring revenue. It's great. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it's just, a bit on the back burner because he's been writing more in the past, right? He's, he's mm -hmm. juggling that and his, his newsletter is picking up and he, he's getting a lot of leads through to his work. And there's a, there's a lot of interconnectivity between these things, but priority is, is always some, a shifting goal, right? You never know, like, should I spend this day on the SaaS building a new feature or should I spend it writing, creating this new amazing piece of content that may or may not trickle in a couple of sales later down the line or should i do a sales call with uh, a couple of enterprise customers that might bring in a significant amount of revenue so there's there's always this and i i found that kind of hard to even give advice because i yeah. myself struggle with this and mm. obviously like we this this whole podcast came to be because we have a project that we want to do together that is still not our main priority in anything we do the com mba is something that gets little updates every now and then but it's never mm -hmm. something that gets like a full weeks of attention until we mm -hmm. actually do it, which is something that we should talk about today as well. But the what what I found was you have these many small bets, which is what what Daniel Vasallo calls it, like the approach of like hedging your your risk by having many small different things. And if one breaks away, you still have others. And particularly when those things are interconnected with each other, there is an increased value, right? The the sum of the parts is. Uh, what was the phrase? You know, the whole thing is, is bigger than the sum of its parts or something. There's yeah. just some interconnectedness, some network effect between those tools. And yeah. I found that uh, it, it, it does not really allow you to stay super calm if you, if you need to constantly shift your priorities. Because right? there's context switching in there. There's um, the seeing potential. That's, that's kind of why we chatted because he was saying, um, if, if I just spent a lot of time on the SaaS right now, this could be the big break because it is already super profitable and with more attention to detail, with more engagement with the customer base, this could easily double and triple, which might then be an exit in the, you know, seven, eight figures, whatever it may be, which shifts your whole life having yeah. done this myself, right? That this shifts everything that you do. You, you come become a, you think differently. You have this post-economic state of mind where you don't look at what am I going to make tomorrow, but what is going to happen 10 years from now? And you were just talking right. about this long-term ambition. And in yeah. a way, 
the SaaS business is a short-term potential, short-term ambition, right? If you ramp it up mm -hmm. over the next couple of years, exit it, and then you're done. At least that is the, the optimal space. But if you have a new startup, if you're building a personal brand around your knowledge in a particular space, if you build, mm -hmm. if you're writing books, all of these things are long-term projects. They're infinite games, right? You, you play right. the game to stay in it. And with knowledge, with teaching, you want your personal brand to help others to then for them to come back a couple of years in the future and say, hey, that this person helped me out, you should look at their work, right? This is an infinite long-term aspiration. So yeah, what do we do? <laughs> do we look at the short-term gains that could potentially level us up? Or do we look for multiple different things at the same time? Do we tunnel vision on the short-term thing to later be able to go for the infinite things? Or do we all try to keep the, those things at the same time? Do you have an approach for this in all the different projects that you have? Like, how do you prioritize which goes first and how much attention you spend on each of these things? Yeah. I think there's a couple like layers to the onion here that we can approach. One, I think is just a, like, a, I have a meta comment about how to think about this. I think the other one is just how to set priorities, period. And then the other one would be how to prioritize across multiple projects and things like that. So um, maybe we'll just like go layer by layer. But I think sure. the the highest level thing that I think is important to to remember and that I remind myself of all the time and that I'm constantly reminding um, founders of is, you know, this is a, this is an example of the, the, um, oh, what is it? There, there's a, uh, the explore versus exploit problem, the, mm -hmm. uh, the one arm bandit problem or the many arm bandit problem, right? It's, there's like a computer science version of this, but basically the fundamental question is like, do I, you know, keep doubling down and spending my time, energy, money, bets, et cetera, on something that I know is working, uh, versus take a gamble and try to find something else that's going to work better. And you can break that down. It does not even have to be across projects, right? It can be mini projects within the different businesses, right? So it might be, do I keep doubling down on, you know, this customer acquisition strategy for the SaaS, or do I take four weeks off and try to write an ebook, you know, for the course or something like that, right? These are all versions of the same thing. You, you either double down on what's working or you do something fundamentally uncertain and see if it has, you know, some, some better upside. And at the end of the day, I think there is a computer science um, solution to this in like a very constrained version. But when you kind of make it more of a philosophical problem, I think the answer is nobody knows. And so like, don't worry about trying to figure it out basically that like it's actually fundamentally completely impossible to figure out an answer to this sort of thing <laughs> and uh every entrepreneur everybody who doesn't work a sort of job basically is faced with this problem and you really just have to like not get caught in loop after loop after loop of trying to create some solution you just have to figure out a way to like a decision-making framework to just sort of make some bets and try to survive those bets and, you know, figure out how to kind of double down on the ones that work or, you know, run back the stuff that doesn't. But I think the number one thing is just not to get completely caught up in stressing about this sort of thing, because it's just unknowable, right? There is no amount of like, sitting down on a sheet of paper or with a whiteboard or just like beating your head against the wall, that's going to like, push out an answer for you for this, this general type of, uh, of decision making. Um, I'm curious if that resonates for you. And then like, how do you think about, how do you think about like, I don't know, do you have a decision-making framework for this that you kind of stick to like a simple rule of thumb or anything like that? What I suggested to him in, in response to 
having that problem, the exact same problem you just mentioned, like not being able to mm-hmm. figure it out clearly, was to just try a version of it for a couple of weeks. That's what I yeah. said. Like if you if you wanna if you wanna see if you enjoy building your SaaS for four days a week, do four days a week for a month. And like write down today what you think you will have to accomplish for this to be valuable. Like put your yep. expectations down, put your expectations down as to what do you think you can do. Do it for mm-hmm. a month the month and then check back in with yourself and see if yeah. those four weeks worked for you and, and just evaluate. It's kind of the, the typical SaaS founder iteration thing, right? You build something, you put it out, you see what feedback comes back in, you change it, you put it back out. Like it's it's the whole and that's what building in public is effectively a feedback cycle that is just done in public. And you can do this in public or in private, whatever for your business doesn't really matter as long as you keep mm-hmm. iterating and checking mm-hmm. back in with your expectations and, and kind of mix and match what works for you or what doesn't. Because it might be that he does not enjoy working on this, the, the, the technical part of the SaaS as much now that he has started writing so much, right? Because maybe that's my experience. I loved coding. Like that was my whole life. And then mm. I started writing. And now I figured mm. out, ooh, coding was just really writing for machines. And machines tend to be pretty <laughs> dumb. People are great. They give me a lot of thoughts. Machines do not. I mean, unless it's ChatGPT, but you know, <laughs> that that has kind of mixed it all up again. But like writing yeah. to me for people feels so much more fulfilling even than building something really cool with code. That's kind of where my mm. personality of just wanting to please people. I'm a people pleaser and writing allows me to do this much more than just solving a technical problem somewhere. So mm. it, it, is, it gravitates towards that. So maybe he will figure out who I've been working four days a week on this. I don't enjoy it as much as I used to before yeah. I started my newsletter. Right. So, yeah. but he will never be able to know until he tried. So I think experimentation, just like you said, like iteration, time boxed experimentation is the best way to deal with this because there is no way to figure it out other than by um, creating your own anecdote to look back into, right? You, you need your empirical, okay. anecdotal, personal data to then make choices from. That, that That is my suggestion. My suggestion is just to try stuff, which is, yeah. again, pr- quite privileged, I guess, because you have to be able to take four days to work on this, right? If you if your income is dependent on you working a full time job and then have a side project that you want to get going, this which is what yeah. most people who follow the many small bets approach are trying to do. Well, you don't have that much time. You cannot just spend like four days a week on your side project because that turns it into a main project, right? You there are always going to be constraints, but within the constraints, there is a lot of room for experimentation. And particularly yeah. when you still have a job, when you're not out of the the nine to five world. Everything outside of your job can be an experiment. Might just as well treat it like this, right? This doesn't mm-hmm. have to immediately work. You can see if a version of it works better or if some, something else works better completely. I think th- that is the, the idea is to experiment. But again, within a, a time-constrained way because otherwise you're just going to you know, follow this, this uh, the rabbit, rabbit hole situation forever and you never get to any kind of meaningful data that you can infer a decision from that. That's, yeah. that's what, how I approach it. I totally agree with that. I think the way that I summarize that is uh, like kind of just try to find the smallest possible experiment. Right. So this is a little bit of version of like the minimum viable product kind of approach from the lean startup and stuff, which is try to take the essence of what the big bet would be and try to make it smaller. And then 
see if that fits within your constraints. And you're right. Some people might have very extreme constraints. They might say, I, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of kids. I've got a job. I've got a side project already, but I want to try and see if this other thing is worth doubling down on. I have one hour per week, you know, or something. Okay, cool. Like just try and keep distilling and distilling and distilling the the experiment down to where you're still kind of testing the idea. Maybe you're like, I want to, I want to write a book. Well, start with, I'm going to tweet about it. You know, I'm going to like create an yeah, account right. and I'm going to schedule five tweets for the week in my one hour and I'm going to see if they yeah. resonate, right? Like just keep distilling it down. And then the second thing of a piece of that is something you touched on, which is um, making it reversible, right? So, so this is like, I think a, uh, I give, I think Patrick Collison gets credit for this in in my mental library of like, basically he he said something like, you know, if a decision is easily reversible, then you should be making it much, much, much faster than you normally are, right? You know, if it can be reversed easily, like you don't need to wait for 100% confidence on the right decision, you should go with like 40% confidence and just go with it. Um, but I think that applies to this too, which is you make these bets if they are pretty easily reversible. So a non-reversible decision would be I'm shutting down the SaaS to go all in on my newsletter, right? You quitting know, my very, job, right? First of all, yeah, <laughs> quitting my job, right? Try to avoid those things and try to find very reversible kind of things where you could say, oh, that didn't really work out. And the consequences of dialing that back is pretty much minimal. Yeah. So you're effectively de-risking your choices there, right? Like a reversible yeah. decision is a by, by nature less risky than an irreversible right. one. So that that right. sounds that sounds like uh, we're we're getting into calm business territory, right? Like to, to de-risking even important choices like this that mm -hmm. it's way less anxiety <laughs> with you and like not just you. Like I'm, I'm thinking uh, most of these these people who have trouble with this priority stuff are people who have no team. Are solopreneurs, people who are just running mm -hmm. a very an, an elaborate thing, an elaborate mix of things all by themselves. Because the moment you have a team, you can kind of split up responsibilities and you can run yeah. your own experiments. They can run theirs, but the reversibility is kind of built in because everybody has their field and they have a an overview over what, what's happening, what the goals are and what, what their work should be about. But if sure. all of this happens in you, you know, it, it gets... It gets like a, it's a lot. You juggle a lot, and you you have less time and less energy for other things. Which I'm I'm just thinking, and this is completely um, I'm not off topic, but it's it's very it's just adjacent to it. You need somebody in your life that supports that approach to build, like structuring your life. If you have mm. a partner, right, or if you have a support network, you need people who tell you, sure. Do this experiment if it's reversible. Like you, you need us as your friends. That's what I'm trying to say. Right? You need people who who give you permission, and that's kind of what we started this conversation with today. Permission to try stuff out without telling you, "Ooh, that's risky," and "Oh, you should probably better get a job," or you know, "Oh no, we can't do that." Like, those people, they are not going to help you with this. Like you need to surround yourself with people who first still are sensible about this, but also understand that for somebody like you who is an entrepreneur you need mm. to be allowed to run your experiments that you know may be slightly risky but have an like a long-term payoff that is visible to you you're not just running random experiments you're running some that have this kind of inkling of a potential payoff down, later down the road what i'm trying to say yeah. is you you need to make sure that people around you or people that you surround yourself with are supportive of this approach to life because if you find somebody who is very much on the default path of just compliance and and de-risking everything by not doing it at all 
then you're going to have trouble as a, as a founder to just to, to keep, keep that momentum, right? Because you need to, some of these things, most of them probably will not work out. And you need somebody who's going to say, okay, try the other thing instead of telling you, see, told you it wasn't going to work. That person is not going to help you in that moment. Lots of people are like this. I'm saying this not because I'm, I, I, I'm bitter or anything, but I had this in my family. My family has been extremely suppressive of entrepreneurial work my whole life because they just mm. could not understand how I didn't want to get a job. Right. And, and the funny part is like, there was an entrepreneurial side to this. Like some my, part of my, my grandparents, they, they ran their own business, but they ran mm. it after they had a, a full life of work. It was kind of their mm. retirement activity. They didn't consider mm. that this might be actually a, like a lifelong thing that you could do. It was just something yeah. they found after they were done working. It's, it's sorry for bringing all of this in here, but it's just, I, I've I talked to so many people over the last couple of weeks who are kind of suppressed by the same forces in their lives that I just want to tell them, hey, if the people around you are not supportive of this, you might want to find other people who are. You know, not yeah. don't, don't push away the old ones, but add new ones to your circle who are as supportive as we are trying to be here on this podcast. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you can also, I mean, I think like, yes, and to that, basically, you should definitely do that. And then also just cultivate that conviction within yourself as well, right? You know, in the sense that, I mean, I was thinking about this recently about how, like, how difficult it can be sometimes to, when you are, like the right approach, for example, in almost all cases is to experiment, right? To try things that might fail, right? Almost certainly the wrong approach is, you know, over some long period of time, like never try any of these experiments, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing this and you're trying a bunch of experiments that fail and sometimes a bunch of them fail, right? And you're like, man, like really, I had all this momentum going back when I first started this thing, everything kind of mm -hmm. seemed to go right. You know, I'd post my MRR growth on Twitter and everybody would high five me and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm experimenting and now I've got, you know, four out of the last five are kind of like failures. And yeah, they were small and yeah, they were reversible, but it's like, man, I really, you know, feel like I'm, I'm kind of off the path here. Um, and just kind of like, yes, it's important to have people around you that will say that, but also you kind of just have to cultivate that conviction in yourself that, you know, almost always the right thing to do is to keep trying stuff and keep iterating and keep experimenting. Um, you know, I often think about it as like, um, you know, I, I've been talking a lot to people who are kind of at the earliest phases of entrepreneurship lately, like people in my life and friends and friends of friends and stuff. And I kind of think like most entrepreneurs that get their first start, they kind of get this conviction to do something. And then they don't just like come right out of the gate with like this idea that's going to work. They get this sense that they need to do their own thing and they just start pushing and they're kind of pushing an idea here and it doesn't really go. And they push an idea here. It doesn't really go. And they push this idea and it just goes, you know, and they're like, oh, this is what we're doing now. You know? yep. But Got it's just it. like that, that conviction to start pressing on the edges of things and saying like, okay, could this be the one? No. Could this be the, yeah. one? oh, this is the one, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, and just like it does. That conviction. Yeah. It does remind me of, of fishing, like the act of, of fishing, because yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you, you put up the, like the rod as well as you can, and you have your little lure or whatever, you throw it in, and you see if something nibbles. Like, you don't expect the bite. Right? The bite would be great, because then you can just reel out the fish and you have, you have dinner or something. But most of the time, that's just a little nibble. 
And like, mm. whoever would not try to throw it at the exact same location and see if there's more nibble, right? You, you wouldn't, mm. oh, yeah, there's a nibble. Let's just go somewhere else. That doesn't happen, right? So you, you figure out, okay, this point of the lake or the river I'm fishing in, that's where something is happening. So I'm just going to mm. try another lure and throw it in and see if that brings it out. Or I'm trying to move the rod slightly differently to attract another, like the fish in a different way because every single fish responds to different behavior in terms of the, the prey that they hunt, right? Or, or the, the kind of stuff that they eat so you you kind of you get like the area which is interesting to you and then you throw back in and if you throw mm. into an area and nothing happens for an hour well maybe you should look for a different area to throw your lure in right fishing has a lot of um, and there's a whole other layer there too like sometimes you just have to fish for a couple hours and reel it back in throw it back out nothing happens reel it back in but you don't stop reeling it back in like that is part of the process is to see if something happens on the way even on the way back in, if you're like winding down whatever idea you have, somebody might might happen to tell you uh, so something that you completely forgot. There was a Twitter conversation I was in recently where somebody was describing how one of their projects didn't work out. And in the comments to that were, well, I understand you tried this and this and that, but there's this other market that this would be perfect for. Have you ever considered talking to people in that market? And that person hadn't. And now they are. Like they were winding down their project thinking it had failed in public and through the conversation around the process of winding down, they found a potential market that it might actually succeed in. So mm-hmm. in the, with the fishing analogy, cool. you're already reeling it back in because it didn't work. But on the way, there's this tiny little fish that comes in and it's like, hmm, maybe, maybe that, right? That's, that's how it happens. So I, I'm just, I'm just trying to say there is, there is some endurance in all this, right? The experiments yeah. often won't work and often you will cast and you will reel back in and nothing will happen. So maybe the worm is even falling off the lure along the way. Doesn't matter, yeah. right? You, you put it on another worm or whatever and you throw it back out and you, you get it back yeah. in and that's, you, the repetition makes it happen. That's what I'm trying to say. I have a lot of fishing metaphor, even though I'm really bad at it. But I think that those metaphors to me make a lot of sense because they, they connect to us on a, on a deeply human way. Like the way we hunt for mm. food or we used to hunt is not much different from how we go about other opportunities. It is very similar. You have to try a lot. You have to try different things and you have to yep. double down on the things that work and alternate when things don't. I agree. What do you think? Yeah. And I also think <laughs> sure. like, you know, I think um, there's uh, something else I think is useful. So I love, um, I think maybe Peter Levels gets credit for doing this. The first that I ever saw it, like listing out all of the projects that he's ever built in some text yeah. file. And it's just like some insane list of things, you know, like 80 yes. something businesses that he's launched. And like, four of them have ever generated any meaningful amount of money to him. And probably, you know, two represent like 95% or something like that. And you, you see that. And sometimes I'll catch even myself, right? And there's this tendency to like, if you string together a couple of experiments that don't work to think like, Oh, everybody's really keeping score right? They know, oh man, he's on a losing streak, you know, three experiments in a row didn't work out. Everybody's waiting. They're all watching. Oh man, you know, he's going downhill. Their opinion of him is, is, you know, like completely falling off a cliff. They're not going to support his next project because he's (laughs) 0 for 3 of the last ones, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And you realize like, I mean, I've been following Peter building all these projects. I had no clue about like 95% of these things. 
And they just, they launched him. They didn't work out, you know, like, and he does it all in public. And like, I could have probably noticed it if I'd paid attention. People are just not paying attention to this stuff, you know, <laughs> and just kind of like looking at something like that and remembering that nobody cares, really. Nobody is tracking, you know, if these things don't work. So just keep trying them, I think. And just kind of like cultivating a little bit of immunity to that self-doubt, I think is important, right? You know, if we tried... 12 different experiments for the calm MBA and the first 11 of them didn't work. Like nobody's going to care. Yeah. And <laughs> thanks. Thanks for bringing this up. Cause that's, that's the thing I really wanted to talk to you uh, about today. And in closing this, I guess we're, we're getting, mm -hmm. getting ever closer to the hour again, once again. Um, I think that's exactly what we should be doing as long as we want. That's right. <laughs> we have, we have all the time we want. We can talk about it. We can opine and delay as much as we like. I think we, we should like with, with the com NBA being something that we've been like passing back and forth and not really knowing like what's the scope and what do we need to do? Honestly, I thought about it. I, I, I gave myself some time to reflect. I did not work for an hour. I just thought. And I was like, mm. the best thing we could probably do is to find a couple of candidates, maybe five or six, seven, eight candidates that want to do this thing with us. And then just start, just have a, like, have a set date, do it for a month or two months, like maybe four or eight weeks of just regularly checking in with each other, setting up maybe a discord or something where people can congregate and ask questions and just take the first session as we are finding out what you guys need together. Instead of coming up with a curriculum pre-session, we come up with the curriculum after the session because we get to the point where people tell us where they are, what they need. We restructure the curriculum as we go. It's it's going to be an experiment anyway, right? Because it has to be, because we've never done it before. We mm -hmm. might just as well lean into the highly experimental nature of this, make it make it free for them, obviously, because they are part of an experiment. This is uh, uh, something that I, I wouldn't want anybody to pay for necessarily. Just find the right volunteers, I guess, for this together and mm -hmm. just commit to between four and eight sessions on a weekly basis determine when we would do this. We talked about maybe doing it on the weekend. Maybe this is a Friday night activity or something like that. We can get to the details of this uh, during this conversation. But I think for the first run, let's just wing it in a way that involves the people who need it. Like actually cater, this is the white glove stuff that Paul Graham talks about when he, in his like things that yeah. don't scale essay, right? That's just do the things that people need right now and figure out how to generalize it at a later point. So basically, do we need just like a simple kind of um, like survey slash application form that's just like, you I know, think so. Yeah. Tell us if you're interested. Tell us what you're thinking about working on. Maybe we just ask certain things like what's your availability? What stage are you at? Have you have you made a prototype? Are you just pure idea stage? That sort of thing. And, and yeah. then we just see what comes back. And then we we structure yeah. the first one around that. I think so. And and uh, honestly, and since we have this podcast, uh, might just as well ask the people listening to this podcast who might be at whatever stage they think it would, might be interesting for, for us to help them with their own building a, a calm SaaS business um, journey. Just reach out to us. Like we are on Twitter, both of us. We have DMs open. Yeah. I think. Like you can. We, we we definitely should do the the little sign up form for us to be able to have this in a in an easily you know, accessible list. But if, if the, if you listener, dear listener, if you're, if you're listening to this and thinking I must be part of this experiment, because mm -hmm. honestly, it's going to be cool. Like, we're going to have amazing conversations. We're going to give ex exactly 
precise and useful and actionable information for you at any stage of your business right now. Why wouldn't you join? Tell us. Yeah. Like reach out to, to me on Twitter, Avid Carl, reach out to to Tyler on Twitter, Tyler Tringis. Like we, we can we can find find a way to do this together. And we figure out a good day, we figure out a good time and then just take it uh, for a month or two do do it as the first cohort, the first batch. You get a nice little fake degree at the end. All of this, we can make that happen. But I just, I just wanted to be as um, experimental as possible because I think we we could do so much. We could spend months building up a curriculum, but why would we need to if we can just do it like one week at a time? I like it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice. So that that is, I guess, our our thing for next week is to have the the sign up thing ready. Uh, let's mm. see what we what what happens first. The sign up form goes up first. Who, who do you want to do that? Do you want to like put up a little form to capture that sure. stuff? I think out of the two of us, you're the the form builder. Yeah. <laughs> At least I I hope you have some more experience than I do because I have zero experience. I I do have a reform account, I think, but that's it. Yeah, that I think that's that would be wonderful. And again, listeners, viewers. And um, transcript readers, if if you're interested in this, just reach out to us on Twitter. We don't, I don't think we, oh yeah, Catch Up FM is our Twitter handle for this podcast. You can DM that as well. I think DMs might be open there for all our cool. 28 followers for that account. Um, yeah, cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about today in this here fine conversation? I think I just want to tie things a little bit together where I think the the two topics we were talking about connect really well, which is... Um, this prioritization across a bunch of projects, uh, yes. especially, for example, like the Calm MBA, as well as the kind of sharpening the saw, I think they're very, very related. Um, you know, you, you were sort of mentioning how like uh, sometimes like the key to productivity is not, you know, calendar automations and notion structures and stuff like that. It's just like getting good sleep and having good nutrition. I think also that's kind of the answer to this prioritizing across a bunch of projects is sometimes it's just building the the mental capacity to tackle the big project especially when you have a bunch of projects it's easy to work only on the kind of meaningless busy work version when you're tired when you're not feeling like fully motivated and full of energy um and when you are in that state you don't really have this agonizing thing. You just like tackle the most important thing right out of the gate and you just go for it. And everybody's kind of familiar with that sense of flow. So like cultivating that is also probably the answer to the how do you balance across multiple projects is just like get your mind and body and energy levels correct. And it just kind of takes care of itself, which is how I feel you and I probably haven't been specifically me mainly but a little bit both of us in oh, in combination and uh and i think we are so like um that this also might be a good case study of just like just get things sorted out and feel like your energy level is good and and all of a sudden things start rolling with it so um i'm excited for uh for the next couple of weeks next couple of months um maybe we throw in a arvid comes to new york city uh meetup uh at some cool. point <laughs> i would love that. i would love to do I, that I, I i would i honestly i i think i know a lot of people in new york city now like obviously yeah. you but uh, a Let's lot of other really cool founders i'd be i would be excited just to, to be in that place i've never been there and uh, I think that that is a mistake. I, I should correct that. Yeah, that it, would be cool. I mean, that could be the the crowning end of this whole 
uh, or start even if we wanted to of this whole activity right it's like to to allow yeah. people to to have a, a meetup would have to be hybrid kind of but we, we can figure this out in the end i i really like this uh that's cool also thank you for kind of pulling this together i think we we all completely overestimate what we can do in front of a computer and very much underestimate what we can do in the kitchen or in our beds, right? Like the, 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 for ourselves and for, for a practical life. And another thing yeah. that I want to add, because just prior to this conversation, I, I was walking with my puppy because it's morning and puppy needs to walk. I have mm -hmm. learned from my dog that having a structured life, that having some semblance of a structure in, in your life is extremely, it's just healthy. It just gives you points in your life that allow you to, to know oh, it's time for this now. When she wakes yeah. up in the morning, it's time for food. And then it's time for a walk. And if we don't walk, she's like, why? It's time for a walk, <laughs> right? Like, And it, it feels the same for me. Like Monday is my writing day. If I don't write on Monday, it feels like something is off. And this has been cultivated. I've cultivated that over the last years. Monday, I write. Mm. Right? So I, so every Monday, I, the, I, I was talking about this earlier on Twitter. And it's going to... Um, I, or the, earlier this week, I, I wrote, it's Monday and it's my writing day and I love this. I'm looking forward to today. And most people responding were saying, wow, you kind of hacked life. Most people hate Mondays because they have to yeah. go to work because they don't want to do this. But you made the thing that you like the most, the thing you look forward to when a new week starts. And I think that that is something that can also be like a, not a cheat code, but a way to, to deal with your prioritization problem is to make the fun thing, the thing you start out with, like to, to structure your, your, all your projects in a way that the fun is never missing from your work. Right? it's always mm -hmm. in there. It's always, oh yeah, you see, I'm doing something impactful here. This is meaningful. This is helping people. This is giving me energy for the other things that may be more hidden, maybe more background stuff, right? I need to do admin for my business. I need to fund my taxes. Not fun, but it's part of, oh yeah, I do this. And then I get to, to do the enjoyable thing again. It's like with my puppy. Now she's napping while we're having this conversation, knowing that once we're done, I get to play with her. So, you know, it's a mix of fun and recovery and, and all these things. I think just structure is a, is a big, big part and i've structured my work week a lot over the last couple of years i have specific days for specific things and that has really helped me at least a little bit juggle with the, the priorities between all these things and keep all the things going at the same time mm. so, i think this is we need to have another conversation on this actually because i i have a i have a very different uh approach to structure so uh, this is a well, topic for Another podcast, actually. Let's yes, write it down. Please, yeah. Let's 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 put that in in the Notion doc that we have for this because Notion yeah, is a yeah. solution to all possible problems for next week or a week after. That that would be that would be a great great chat because I I've developed this this over time. Like for yeah. this particular activity I'm doing before that was way different. So I conversation would love to go structure versus spontaneity. Yes, I'll leave it. Yeah, or there. like structuring spontaneity. That's also uh, going to be an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, cool. Um, let's 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 tie tie this up with a bow. Um, if you enjoyed our conversation today, um, which I I did, and I think Tyler, you did as well. But dear listener, again, if you like this conversation, we would really like your support. This podcast uh, is is very easy to support. Tell your friends. That's that's the the only thing yeah. that that makes a big difference. Uh, we we are on Twitter at, at @catchupfm, but you can also just highlight our individual Twitter accounts. We do have a way for you to very easily rate and review this show by going to ratethispodcast.catchup, like C A T C. 
H-U-P, right? It's just very simple. And you, you'll, you'll find links to like the Spotify thing and uh, Apple podcasts. If you, if you want to give us a really nice five-star rating, please go there. If you want to give us anything below five stars, tell us on Twitter, send us a DM. <laughs> that would work the best because the idea is to just expose more people who can really use this podcast, right? To the podcast. And that is best done with a five-star rating and a review. We would be very grateful for that. And uh, I, I think, you know, you know it, it would be nice. It was just, it's always nice to see that you're listening and that you think it's worth listening to what we're doing. And with that, uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, your updates for this week and having a really cool conversation with me, Tyler. That was a lot yeah. of fun. See you next week. Uh, we See you next week. Oh, sorry. I stole your line. <laughs> <laughs>